Hi, hi. Um, so my name's Bryony, and um, I haven't spoken at the 7pm for an awful long time. Um, so it's really lovely to be here. Um, it's definitely harder to see your faces than at the 11. Maybe that'll be a good thing later, I don't know. But um, I've been part of SCC for about 16 years now. Um, I was on the staff team here for a long time. And like Sam has mentioned, um, I'm now a warden, um, which I'm still working out what that means. But um, it's something to do with um, being a point of kind of support and accountability for Tom and the team, um, which has been a challenge and a privilege um, in this season. In my job, I work uh, with my husband, Rich. We run a design studio called Make Better, um, where we work doing kind of branding and website and video for um, mostly charities and kind of third sector stuff. Um, we have three children who are 10, 6, and 1. We decided not to give them names. We thought numbers were um, easier. Um, but we love, we love STC, and, um, and yeah, it's a joy to come and share with you. Now, tonight, um, the question that I was given, and I don't know who's responsible for this, maybe Sam, maybe Luke, I'm not sure, is how do we deal with toxic relationships? Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, what an easy, super light topic to cover. So obviously, the first thing I did uh, was not get out the commentaries, but it was to go to my six-year-old son. And I said to him, Jack, um, what do you do? Um, how do you deal with difficult friendships? Like if things are tricky at school, if um, your friendships with somebody are getting a bit tricky, um, what do you do? And he was just like, just play with someone else. I was like, okay. I was like, e anything else? He was like, well, oh, maybe just go play some basketball. Now, I think, I'm not sure that I'm going to be more wise <laughs> than my son, Jack, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. But first of all, I wanted you just to turn to the people next to you and answer this question. I want you to think of a great friendship from the past. Now, it can be somebody who you knew when you were four years old um, at the start of primary school. It can be your husband or wife, if you want to talk about that. But think of a great friendship from your past and tell the person next to you what was one thing that made it great. What was something that made that friendship great? So you've just got one minute. Share with the person next to you. Think of a great friendship. What made it great? Fantastic. We're gonna, I'm going to bring you all back. It sounds like there's some excellent friendships in the room from all the chatter. You obviously found it uh, easy to think of some, some great friendships. I used to think that the older um, I got, um, that friendships and relationships would just get easier and easier, basically, as I got older. And while there is some truth in that. Like, hopefully, as followers of Jesus, we are becoming more like him, and therefore, our relationships should look more redeemed um, and more kingdom-like. However, the truth is, actually, the older I've got, the more I realize how broken I am in most of the relationships uh, that I function in. And in fact, right back in the Garden of Eden, it was relationship, wasn't it, that took the first hit for sin, not only was our relationship with our Heavenly Father affected and broken, but our relationships with one another. And tonight, I want to start from the perspective that the Father's heart, God's heart for us, is for reconciliation and redemption. That that is his design for us. That we're image bearers of our Heavenly Father, who is constantly, perpetually, for all time, in relationship with Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, relationship is at the core of the Trinity, and that is God's heart for us as followers of Jesus. And yet, we live in a fallen world, don't we? 
And the result of that is visible in our relationships with one another. And we all know that to be true, don't we? Because even though you've all managed to say what are the great things from the past, I doubt there's anybody here who will say, I'm 100% happy with 100% of the relationships in my life. Whether it's a difficult relationship with someone in our family or just the person that we have to share a car share with is a little bit annoying or the person that we sit with at uni or at school or in our, in our booth at, at work, like we can find relationships challenging. They're just difficult. And tonight what I want to do is look at that passage from Galatians which speaks into this desire to have relationships that are transformed by Jesus. And I'm going to just pull some things from that passage, and I'm actually going to read it again because it's not too long. I think we can cope with hearing the Bible read twice, can't we? Um, And then I want to get quite practical, and I'm not going to be scared to answer that question because that's a hard question. Um, But once we've looked at what are the principles for good, healthy relationships, I then want to have a go at answering um, that trickier question of what do we do when things go wrong? Because we know that they're probably going to go wrong at some point. And throughout this talk, I'm going to use the words relationships and friendships interchangeably. Um, So we can be thinking about our relationships with our family. We can be thinking about our partner. We can think about close friendships. But as I'm speaking, I'll probably flip between those two. Um, So hear me when I'm saying this is I'm not speaking to just everybody who's in a relationship with a partner. And I'm not just talking about friendships. We're kind of talking about it all. So... If you'll indulge me, I'm going to read that passage again because it helps me to to remember as well. But let me just, let's read this passage from Galatians and it'll be up on the screen as well. So if you haven't got a Bible with you, you can, can read it. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself or you may become tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And each one should carry their own load. So a little bit of uh, context before we leap into this passage. In the previous chapters of this letter, Paul, the writer, has been talking about what it means to live a life in step with the Spirit. This is this phrase that Paul keeps returning to. And fundamentally, this letter is him unpacking why Gentiles, which is that's the non-Jewish people, are welcome in the kingdom of heaven, which is a relief for everybody here in this room. Because I'm assuming most of us are not Jewish. So what Paul is unpacking is why we are welcome at the table, why we're part of the story. And he talks about the fruit of a person's life is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. That he's moving away from the idea that you have to follow kosher law and circumcision to be acceptable to God. He's saying actually the fruit of people's life is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And he outlines in a very famous passage just before this the fruits of the Spirit. And now what he's doing in this part of Galatians is turning his attention to how the Spirit-filled Christian is going to function in relationships with others. So what I want to do is have a look at three things that Paul wants believers to remember in order to have healthy, kingdom-bringing, gospel-shaped relationships. And so the first reminder 
is to remember who we are. Paul starts there in verse 26 by saying, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So the word provoking means being competitive. And it's kind of like looking down on somebody. It's judgmental. And it's thinking that you're better. And then the word envying is kind of the opposite. It means feeling that you're inferior. It's looking down. And both of these views, if we take them of, of other people, actually come from a place of our own insecurity, don't they? Because they're either saying, I'm, I'm way better than you and I need to make you feel like you're less than me. Or, oh my goodness, you're so much better than me and I feel a bit rubbish in your presence. And so both of those places come from that insecurity and, and basically end up with us trying to prove our worth. Both provoking and envying, looking down on somebody or looking up, actually put the focus back onto us. So Paul is saying here, like, have a right view of yourself and others. And I love, um, there's a brilliant book, um, a tiny, really small book. It's very easy to read in like an hour by Tim Keller um, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in that, he argues that we don't need to think less of ourselves. What we actually need is to think of ourselves less. So thinking, just thinking of ourselves less, not thinking less of ourselves, not thinking like, oh, I'm so terrible. Actually, just thinking less of ourselves to stop looking at others and using them as a benchmark for our own self-worth, not looking at the person you've come with or the person that just shared with you and you thought, oh, they've obviously had really great friendships. I'm not sure I've had friendships like that. That is what Paul is saying. No, there's no space for that kind of comparison in the kingdom. And I think relationships become toxic when we can't be happy for another person's success or when we're looking down on others. And that leads us into the next part, that Paul wants us to remember what we are saved from. Paul writes that if anybody is caught in sin, and some translations say overtaken by sin, that we should restore that person gently or with a gentle spirit. And the use of this word caught or overtaken kind of suggests that it's not just a small slip up in someone's life, but it's something kind of habitual, that they're caught up, that they're tangled up in a particular um, way of living that has walked them away um, from Jesus. And Paul, who's kind of never backwards, is he, in kind of coming forward, says that actually we aren't to stay silent and that the loving thing to do is to point that out to people to point it out lovingly. And the word that he uses, restore, is um, the Greek word, which is kartazizotdu. I can't pronounce Greek very well, but it's that word. But what that word means is to set a dislocated bone back. Now, I've never had a dislocated bone, but I hear it's quite painful to reset. And um, that's the thing, isn't it, with restoring people um, who are caught up in whatever sin, whatever habitual issues, it can be really painful. Like restoring people can be difficult. From both sides, it, requ it requires courage for the person who needs restoring and the person who is doing the restoring. It requires courage and is painful. And I want to pause there for a second because I think that is particularly challenging for us. Because for those of us 
kind of in my generation, I think I'll be classed as an elder millennial. That sounds depressing, doesn't it? Um, but also those in this room who are much younger than that. We've been brought up in a world where we are told that we need to be free to live our truth, that no one has the right really to challenge how we live. And it's hard, but that is just not the way of a disciple. And what I'm not saying <laughs> is that we have the right to go around challenging everyone. We don't have the right to go around pointing out all the specks in everybody's eyes. I think um, Luke was preaching on this passage this morning. I think he, he described it as we don't have the right to go around bashing people over the head. And I definitely think we don't have the right. And that's not what I'm saying. That we don't go around pointing the specks in all of our friends' eyes. And I think Jesus has quite a lot, actually, <laughs> to say about not doing that. But to have healthy relationships, like kingdom relationships, we need to be open to challenge. I have two wonderful thing, friends who I have been accountable to now for uh, probably nearly 15 years, I think. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I said to one of them who is here nodding at me, um, that you have total permission um, to challenge me and correct me if I'm wrong here. And we have said that to each other multiple times, I think, over the last decade. And to be honest, I don't find that easy. I don't find it easy to say to somebody, please point out the places where I've got this wrong. That's not, um, my natural inclination is not to go around asking people to point stuff out in me. It's not easy. Because I don't want anybody to challenge me. Because I have bought into this cultural myth that I should just get on with my life and it doesn't matter what I do. I should live my truth and forget what everyone else says. And so kind of humbling myself, as we were talking about last week, putting myself um, before somebody else and saying, it's okay, you have permission to bring that kind of challenge. is hard. But I do believe when the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, <laughs> that that's true, that we sharpen one another and toxic relationships, by their very nature, are built on the lie that I can never say something to you and you can never say something to me or our relationship is too fragile to deal with the truth. That I can't bring truth to you because that means that our relationship will end. Or I've got to kind of keep the status quo and I can't bring challenge. That's where toxic relationships can start. So I'm going to pause Gosh, that's heavy, isn't it? <laughs> um, but what I want to know now is I'm going to ask you to turn um, back into your groups and say, what, what do you think about that idea of giving people permission to speak into your life? Like, be honest, you can just turn and say, I am not cool with that. <laughs> I do not want people to challenge me. And to be honest, that's the same for me. I don't want people to challenge me. But how do you feel about that? How do you feel? Have you experienced that? Is it something that makes you feel excited or nervous? Just turn to the people next to you. What do you think about giving people permission to speak into your life? Just a couple of minutes. Just take your time. Have a quick chat about that, and then I'll come bring us back together. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. So we're going to kind of um, just carry on with that a tiny bit more. Um, Paul goes on to say in that passage, um, watch yourself in case you go the same way. And in verse 3, says, if anyone thinks that there's something that they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. So Paul says we need to watch ourselves and test ourselves. 
And this is remembering what we're saved from. That no matter what somebody in our cell group or the church or our family is struggling with, then we're to acknowledge how easy it would be for us to go that way too. And in fact, (laughs) that we're all struggling, aren't we? with sin. We're all struggling with going our own way. It's just that some of us make it look a lot more presentable, don't we, than others. Like we're all struggling with this. So we're to remember what we are saved from. So we're to remember who we are, not looking up in envy or looking down in judgment. We're to remember what we're saved from, that we're all sinners in need of grace. And we're to remember what's ours to carry. This verse talks about carrying two things. Other people's burdens and our own load. And these are distinct and different words, like in our language and also in the language that this passage is written in. A burden is a heavy weight. And that's either something that's caused by someone else's sin or it could just be caused by the circumstances of life. And there are many times where we need to shoulder someone's burdens. In this church, um, whenever anybody um, has a baby or they're ill or um, suffer a bereavement or something, then they often are recipients of the infamous food rotor. And now, as somebody who has had um, three babies, these food rotors are a really practical way that my friends have carried my burden. In an overwhelming um, time of life, they took that weight of needing um, to plan uh, food and cook, which is something I dislike at the best of times, but particularly in the kind of aftermath of just having a baby, but they took that burden away. Carrying someone's burden can look like sitting and listening, to crying with them and saying, I have no words for you, but I'm, I'm here. And burden carrying requires closeness. Closeness because it's hard to see the effect of someone's burden unless you're close enough to see them straining under it. Like unless you're in close relationship with people, you don't know, you can't see the effect of that burden. And if we're, if we're not in close relationship with people, then we just can easily miss the opportunity to be God's hands and feet for them. So a burden is, is a heavy weight, a weight that actually shouldn't be there because it's caused by sin or just really the brokenness of the world and circumstances. But a load, as Paul uses it in this passage, means a backpack, And without this distinction, it can sound like Paul is completely contradicting himself in this passage. Because we come to the passage and we say, okay, Paul, which one is it? Are we to help people carry their burdens or are we to let everybody get on with carrying their own load? But that's where this distinction between a heavy weight and a backpack is really useful. Because a backpack is manageable. It's an appropriate weight for the carrier. And God has given us our own set of difficulties and opportunities. We all have different weaknesses and gifts. And we are responsible for that load that Jesus has given us. You aren't responsible, Sam, for how well I carry the load that God has given me. And neither am I responsible for how well Sam carries the load that God has given him. 
we're all responsible for carrying that own load. And there is amazing freedom in this. Because if I'm responsible for my own load, the things that God has given me in life to carry, the gifts, the skills, but also the, the set of unique circumstances that might be challenging or not, but if I'm responsible for them, then that's what matters in the end, not how I've lived in comparison with others. Like, I don't need to compare how I've carried my backpack in comparison to Sam, because what matters is, have I carried the things that God has given me to do? Have I done the things that God has asked me to do? Have I been obedient? Have I, set, have I submitted my life to Jesus? So we carry one another's burdens, and we look out for people who are struggling, and we also carry and take responsibility of the things that God has given us. And it's easy to see how things can get toxic if we start carrying the stuff that God hasn't asked us to. If we start trying to give our load, our backpack, to someone else, or we try to carry something that we were just never supposed to carry. So in the kingdom, redeemed relationships of this kind of redeemed relationship means that we know who we are, we know what we're saved from, and we know what is ours to carry. And this is a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what a community can look like with healthy, functioning disciples and healthy relationships. But, and you knew the but was coming, didn't you? You knew it. But what if those things aren't present? What if, to go back to tonight's question, our relationships feel toxic or our relationships just feel hard or broken? The Oxford Dictionary defines the word toxic as very unpleasant or unacceptable or causing you a lot of harm or unhappiness over a long period of time. And I want to acknowledge off the bat here as we kind of, we're just going to unpack this for a few minutes before we worship, but I want to acknowledge that if a relationship is toxic, and I mean that to like the point of being abusive, then we need to get out. And I told a friend who has walked through this kind of relationship recently that I was speaking about this tonight. And her wisdom was that, she, I said, what would you say? And she said, I would say that, that sometimes you can't see it when you're in it. And that's why we need community. Like if you suspect that your friend is in a toxic and abusive relationship or friendship, then get inquisitive. Ask questions. Just be there for them. And tonight, if you're sat here thinking, gosh, my relationships don't have any of the hallmarks that we've talked about, then I would really encourage you to come and chat to one of the team and, and to pray about that tonight. But I also know that it's sometimes more complex, isn't it, and nuanced than that. That the friendship or relationship that, that we're in, it's not abusive, but it's not good. You know, they're painful, it's, it's hurtful, and it's just not right. The author, um, Blake Guichet, writes in relation, in relation to friendship challenges that the Bible doesn't say that we're just to take a beating. And maybe this is a controversial answer to a controversial question. But I think in the church, sometimes we haven't acknowledged that sometimes friendships don't work out. 
And here I'm talking specifically, I'm using the word friendship. I'm not talking about marriage because that is something that's a whole other area that I'm not going to unpack this evening. But I think sometimes in wanting to promote peace, sometimes we've made it seem like all friendships have to go on forever. And that any issue in a friendship just has to be fixed. But the problem um, with that, which I talked about right at the beginning, is that we live in a fallen world. And while Jesus is in the business of restoring and redeeming all things, we live in the now and not yet. Not everything is restored yet. And that includes our friendships. Like, does that mean that I'm suggesting we ditch anybody who is difficult or challenging to us? Maybe you were hoping that that, Steve, you're laughing like that is what you were hoping I was going to say. Um, maybe you're really hoping that I'm just saying you can just ditch people. That is not at all <laughs> what I'm saying. But I am saying is that sometimes we need to loosen our grip and give relationships, surrender them to God. Because the truth is, there are going to be friendships, aren't there, that don't pass the test of time. And sometimes that's just natural. The people that you talked about in your great friendships, I wonder how many of those people were people from the past who you're actually not that great friends with now. I can remember, and I don't know if it's still a thing that happens, but in the 90s, um, I remember like lots of girls my age having like those necklaces that were like in two pieces and like your best friend would have one half of the necklace and you would have the other half of the necklace. Is that still a thing, youth? Is that still, it is still a thing, great. Well, those, I do not have any of those necklaces anymore. In fact, I think, I was thinking through earlier like who are the people who have the other half of those necklaces because I'm certainly not in contact with them. But at one point, they were my people and we had that necklace that connected to together um, from Claire's accessories um, but I don't have those necklaces anymore because the natural thing of, about friendships is some of those friendships had a shelf life and they moved on and those friendships um, have moved on and maybe there are school friends or uni friends or work friends that you were super close with at one point and they're just you just realize actually we just drifted apart and, and they're not they're not those people anymore and I, I don't think that we um, we just let go of relationships flippantly. But sometimes there are relationships where we have to actively actually let go a little bit. But we don't do that easily. Matthew 18 says that we are to go to people and talk about these difficulties. With, of course, the heart and the attitude that Paul writes about in this passage from Galatians that we've been looking at this evening. Going to somebody, speaking honestly and asking and offering forgiveness will always be the first step for followers of Jesus. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And we are called to model that really radically. And the end of the Matthew 18 passage says a famous verse that is taken out of context constantly where it says where where two or three are gathered I'm there and and what we've taken that to just mean like any prayer meeting where two people are there Jesus turns up what he is talking about is that where two or three are gathered seeking that kind of reconciliation that is where I am because that is the father's heart it's reconciliation and redemption but I said at the start that I wanted to be practical and honest and we all know that though forgiveness and reconciliation are always the goal, sometimes those advances might not be welcomed by the other party, or it might be clear that this kind of dance that you're in 
is, is meaning that your relationship isn't functioning well and it's becoming toxic for you both. And I think in those situations, we can still live differently and we can still model a different way to live. And this happened to me um, several years ago, where someone who I had been in a really close relationship, um, we'd, we'd lived together at one point at uni, and this relationship had just become toxic. We were both the worst versions of ourselves when we were together, and any attempt to kind of bridge that gap had ended with us hurting each other more. And so we got to the point where I said, like, enough, we need to just stop and take a step back from trying to be friends because that's what good Christian girls do. And even though it wasn't this attempt to try to stay in relationship wasn't spurring either of us on to a closer relationship with Jesus, and it certainly wasn't spurring anybody around us on to a closer relationship with Jesus. But it took time, and I'm saying years, but in the end I can honestly say now that I pray so much blessing on her but just from a distance. And I know that in relation to her, I'm no longer sinning in my thoughts. There's no angerness or bitterness there anymore because I know that that friendship was for a season and that season was over. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he released Judas, didn't he? To do the thing that he needed to do because he knew it was part of a bigger plan and story. And I wonder whether sometimes God removes people from our lives because it's the best thing for us. Because he has a different plan and he knows the backpack we've each been given to carry. And I know maybe this feels like I'm totally bumming you out tonight. But I actually think that we can live differently by, by treating our relationships in this way. Especially when it comes to difficult relationships. Because what the world would say is that if you're having a disagreement, tell everybody else about it. Like, badmouth that person to other people. Cancel them. They would say, like, revenge. <laughs> Get revenge. Make sure your side of the story is heard. Become vindictive. Become bitter. That's what the world would say. Like, if somebody's hurt you, hurt them back or ditch them. Those are the only options. And actually, I think God is saying something different to us, that we're to model a different way, that we are to seek reconciliation and redemption. But when we can't do that, we're also to deal with that well. We're to release people with hearts of blessing and kindness. God wants us to pursue healthy kingdom relationships, shaped by knowing who we are, what we're safe from, and what we're called to carry. He also knows that it's messy, and that we're messy. That's not a surprise to Jesus. And I mess up in relationships all the time. And maybe tonight you actually totally disagree with me about everything I've just said, and I'm totally okay with that. But I think the point is that we need to keep wrestling with difficult questions, like you've been doing. And I joked about Sam's questions, but I think the questions that we've been doing in the evening are really good. We need to wrestle with the tricky questions of life. Because when we do that, we offer something to a world that has become more divided, more hurt, more provoked than ever before. And as a church, we need to model a different way, a way of grace, a way of forgiveness, a way of not cancelling, but engaging. And I really hope 
that as we keep digging into these difficult questions on a Sunday evening, as you've been doing every week, we're just going to be so well equipped to offer a faith and a story that is rooted and established and is built on the firm foundation of God's transforming, countercultural, never-changing word.